I would like to read the scriptures and I'd encourage you to turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, to chapter 2. I'd like to read the first paragraph, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, where we read, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's now look to our Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, our Father, as we bow before you, we know we speak to the God of all grace, the God who is swift to mercy, and slow to anger, the God who is rich in loving kindness, you the one who abound in compassion. And we plead with you, even in this hour, that you might give us fresh ears to hear about a glorious old truth, or for some, that you might give them ears to hear this truth for themselves for the first time, bless your word to us. Glorify your own name, we pray. Humble us. And Lord, may our heart's response be that of worship in light of what you say to us now through your holy scriptures. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For by grace you have been saved. I would imagine that many Christians can quote Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. They know it off heart. They have memorized it. Surely Ephesians 2 verse 8 would have to be one of the most, if not the most, famous verse in the entire Bible on the subject of grace. 
And so many Christians know Ephesians 2 and verse 8. But I wonder how many are astounded at God's spectacular grace. In 1772, 250 years ago, last December, John Newton, whilst ministering in Olney, wrote what is now his famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Some estimate that that song is publicly sung at least 10 million times a year. And yet out of the billions who are familiar with it, how few understand the concept of grace outlined by Newton. One thing for sure, Charles Spurgeon and his preaching grandfather, both understood well salvation by grace. On one occasion when Charles was to preach at a church in a country town, he was delayed uh, in his journey and the service actually began without him. As he approached the chapel, he perceived that someone was already in the pulpit preaching. But who could the preacher be? He was supposed to be preaching that day. It was his own grandfather. And as Charles came in the front door of that chapel and he made his way up the aisle, the old preacher said, here comes my grandson. He may preach the gospel better than I, but he cannot preach a better gospel. Can you, Charles? And Charles responded, Well, you can preach better than I can, so you keep going. But the old man would not agree. And so as Charles entered the pulpit, his grandfather said to him, Now, Charles, I was preaching from Ephesians chapter 2. By grace, you are saved. Now, you take it from here, Charles. You see, Charles and his grandfather had such a a clear grasp of these things that it wasn't difficult for Charles to weave his words into the sermon that his grandfather had already begun to preach. When Charles got to the part of the text where it says, not of yourselves, And he began to explain about man's inability. Suddenly he felt his coattail being pulled from behind and the old man wanted to step up and take his turn. And he said, I know most about this, dear friends. And so for the next five minutes, the old man expounded again. And when he had had his say, he graciously allowed the younger Spurgeon to carry on. And now and and then through that sermon, the old man would say behind Charles as he sat there, he would say in a gentle tone as Charles was preaching, good, good. And at one point, he even said, tell them that again, Charles. Tell them that again. Years later, long after Grandfather Spurgeon had died, Charles would say that whenever he read Ephesians chapter 2, he seemed to hear that dear voice saying to him, tell them 
that again. And friends, as we open Ephesians chapter 2, it is as if Paul knows that he needs to repeat himself twice in Ephesians 2 in this opening paragraph. Paul tells us salvation is all of grace. If you are saved, or if you would be saved, it is only by grace. And here is Paul writing to Christians. Christians, of course, who had experienced the grace of God, but they too needed to hear about it again and again. And we, like them, We might know about God's grace tonight, but we need to hear about it again and again and again. And yet still somehow, oddly enough, even as Christians, we can find ourselves that our hearts within us fight against this concept of salvation by grace. We want to have our part. We want to contribute in some little way. Friends, I doubt that there is a more humbling subject than God's grace, whilst at the same time, no more God-exalting theme. And when it is correctly understood, grace puts us, figuratively speaking, face down in the dirt. And even there, it sets us worshipping the God of all grace. There are two things I'd like to highlight from this passage this evening. Two things that really Paul uh, is saying and these will be those two things. Firstly, we will consider what we were before grace and then we'll move to consider what we are by grace. Firstly then, what we were before grace. I'm not sure about you, but I like to look through old photos. Previously, in the years past, it it was like an old box that was kept in the cupboard of filled with all these old printed out photos. Today, of course, we tend to scroll through some electronic device and scroll back and look back to these old images. Whichever one it is, we we like to look at those old images, I think, most of us. And when we look, it is amazing what changes have taken place over the years. So you may see the photo of a relative, or worse, yourself. And you might wonder at the change and you might think to yourself, what has happened to me? Perhaps it's the grey hair, or maybe it's my problem, it's less hair. And you look at that photograph of what you were, and, and, and then you look in the mirror of what you are today, and it's obvious. We are no longer what we were. And here the Apostle Paul gives us an accurate record of what we were before grace. And I want to show you three things that Paul mentions here 
And the first one is in the first part of verse 1 where we could simply summarize it by saying we were dead. Verse 1 it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. In verse 5 he again repeats this idea when he says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. And so Paul says in our sinful nature, we're not just in the hospital a little sick, we're not even critically ill in the emergency department due to sin. Paul says, no, we're in the morgue. We're pronounced dead by God. Dead in our sins. What's the difference between the emergency department in a hospital and the mortuary? Well, you know the difference. In, in, a, in emergency, you're still breathing. In the morgue, you have no pulse. And this concept needs to be clear in our minds as we look at verse 1 when Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We sinned, constantly failing to reach God's righteous standards, ever falling short of God's glory. We did not listen to God. We did not want to listen to God. We did not desire Him. We did not choose Him. We couldn't do any of those things because we were dead. Truth was announced to us, to us maybe in a sermon, maybe it was a conversation with a, a friend, but it was impossible for us to see it. And this is how it always is with the unconverted. Even those who may be exposed to the best gospel presentation that there could be, God's word does go out, but there's no response. I was like that. And so were you, Christian. You were dead. There are no degrees of death. You, you, you can't be half dead. Paul says you being dead in your trespasses and sins. All that you and I therefore contributed to our salvation, we might say, is a corpse. Now we sometimes may see a photo of ourselves and we sometimes may think as we look at the image of ourselves in that photograph, we may think that's not a very complimentary image. In the years past, I have sometimes overheard my daughters, I have three daughters and one son, I sometimes have overheard my daughters say, I don't want anyone to see that photo of me. And dad, don't put it up on Facebook. And I have often said, hey, that image is not lying. It simply records what you were. And friends, what is written here may not appear very complimentary, but God doesn't lie. This is how it is. And so Christian friends, let me remind you, this is what we were prior to grace. We were all dead 
we were in the spiritual morgue. And we need reminding about that which we know. We need reminding about this truth even as we engage in evangelism. All this truth highlights how we must pray. This whole description that Paul is simply mentioning very passingly here, but so profoundly, this this whole description about being dead, surely it takes us back to that scene in John chapter 11. You remember the story of Lazarus in the tomb. Without the grace of God, we're like Lazarus. We're dead in the tomb of sin. Paul, it seems, would even want us to see this scene, that scene that he was familiar with from the Gospels, no doubt, as well. And try and imagine that scene from John chapter 11. We won't turn to it, but I'm sure you know it well enough to try and put yourself in that scene. Come and and have a look at that tomb. And, And bend down. And look inside that tomb and look at Lazarus and see him lying there dead. Check his chest cavity. Is it moving? There's not one breath of of life in his lungs. Look at him all bound up in his grave clothes. But bend down closer. Get closer. Smell him. Now, can he get up by himself? Can he even raise a finger? Of course not. He's dead. You see, this is why your religion cannot save you. You're dead. Your works can't save you. You're dead. You can't do anything. You desperately need the grace of God. And those of us who are Christians, this is what you were. That is, before the grace of God intervened in your life, you were spiritually dead. And without the saving grace of God, you would still be putridly dead in your sin. So as we think then what we were before grace, the first thing we notice, we were dead. The second thing we can see that Paul goes on to mention in verse 2 is we were under domination. And again, we're thinking about our pre-converted state. Yes, we may have been spiritually dead, but could we also now add to this, it's like we were the walking dead. Because verse 2 He says, in which you once walked. Now it's like the Apostle Paul is not showing us a photograph now. He's he's moved. He's, He's showing us some video footage. Could we say it's like he he has recorded how we walked before we were Christians? He's recorded where we walked even. It's like this is live footage that he's replaying of what we were before God saved us, of how we lived. What does he say in verse 2? In which you once walked following the course 
of this world. In other words, we were going the same way as everybody else. God was not in our lives and we didn't want him in our lives. We walk with the crowd, we might say. We didn't walk with Christ. We lived as we wanted to, according to the world, according to the world's way, according to the world's system. Now, we may have even been in a Christian family. We may have gone to church all of our lives in in that earlier stage for some of us, but in our hearts, we were following the world. And notice what else Paul mentions here in verse 2. We didn't just walk according to the world. He goes further and he says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Put that another way. Prior to our conversion, we were slaves of Satan. We lived our lives following him as our master. That's the language of the apostle. Following the prince of the power of the air. We were not as free as we may have thought we were. And of course, the Apostle Paul says something similar in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 when he says we were ensnared by the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is what we were. We were under the devil's domination. We were enslaved to Satan. But now look at verse 3. Among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. That term flesh here, just quickly, simply has this idea that of our fallen human nature. All that mattered to us was our own self-centered world. Our bodies did what we wanted to do. Our minds thought what they wanted to think. That was our focus. Oh, there may have been a veneer of respectability, but in our hearts, in our unconverted state, this is what we were. We walk with the world. We walk with the devil. And we walked according to our own sinful lust because we were under domination. Now seeing what we were deeply humbles us, doesn't it? This is far from complimentary. But my Christian friend, this is the word of God. This is what we were. Looking at this footage of the past, it gives us an accurate record of our old condition. You know what else it does? It surely prepares us for worship. Because when we begin to understand something of what we were, we are left all the more amazed at God's spectacular grace. 
But I wonder if there are some of you here this evening where this video camera that I was describing, like we can understand Paul using here, this footage, that the video camera actually for some of you is still running. It's still recording. Oh yeah, you might be sitting in church this evening, but but in your heart, you're following the course of this world. Let me put this a different way. You're not following Christ. You're not walking behind Christ. You're following the devil. You're locked into your sins and you can't get free because you're under domination. Oh, that God's spectacular grace would break into your heart this evening and set you free. What we were before grace, we were dead, we were under domination. And the third thing I want to draw your attention to is in the end of verse 3, we were damned. But there at the end of verse 3, Paul finishes this little section here by saying, And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You and I... And no different to the rest of the world. We came into this world like the rest of this world. We came into this world with a sinful nature. We conduct ourselves according to the ways of the world, the ways of the devil and the ways of our own flesh. And God is not indifferent to that. And we in our minds may be able to dismiss our sin lightly. We may look for ways to excuse it and to fob it off as no big deal. But God cannot and will not because he is infinitely holy. Sin, of course, is a contradiction to God's nature. And God is furious with all that is impure. The expression Paul uses here is clear. Children of wrath. Wrath is that settled hostility of God's holy will toward everything that rebels against him. In our pre-converted state, this was us. We were under God's wrath. We were children of wrath, Paul says, like the rest of mankind. You see the point here, this is not just something reserved for the future. It was what we were. We were in this general state of what I'm simply calling the damned. That we were under his wrath. And if it wasn't for God intervening in our lives, we would still be children of wrath just like the rest. You see how frightening this one is. The wrath of God is upon all of those who are outside of Jesus Christ right now. And again, you may think, well, I'm in church. Doesn't that count for something? I'm I'm mingling with God's people. Surely somehow that will earn me some credit with God. Surely it will deflect some of his righteous anger toward me. No friend, it doesn't work that way. 
This part of the Bible clearly teaches that without the grace of God in your life, you are spiritually dead, you are under domination, and you are damned. This is what many of us were before God saved us. So Paul has shown us what we were, and now he moves and he shows us secondly what we are. By grace. Can I put it this way? Paul puts away the old photos. He puts away the footage that show the old you. And now he holds up the mirror of grace. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us. What did this loving, gracious God do for you, Christian friend? Paul tells us in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We didn't earn that. We don't deserve that. And when dead, we couldn't even ask for it. It's undeserved favor. It's grace. And so what does he say in the last part of verse 5? By grace, you have been saved. We didn't make ourselves alive. We We didn't contribute in any way to our own spiritual resurrection. Paul is very clear here. This is something he says that only God did. It's a work of God's spectacular grace. And now if we drop down the passage and come to the famous verse, it summarizes it, doesn't it? Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved Through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If we could dart back to John chapter 11, if we could go back there in our mind and recount that situation and go back to the tomb of Lazarus, we were like him. We were rotting in our putrid sins. We were bound up in our sins like Lazarus was in his grave clothes. We we were trapped behind that immovable stone of the dungeon of our rebellion. That was us. We were like Lazarus. And our only hope, our only hope was the effectual call of God to be given to call us to life in Jesus Christ. Because everyone knows dead people can't see, dead people can't hear, dead people can't understand, dead people can't choose, dead people can't even call out. Why? Because they're dead. But it was when Jesus came to that tomb and Jesus called out those Clear words, Lazarus, come forth. What happened to him? Well, 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 the dead man, 
what was made to hear. The dead man breathes. The dead man gets up and walks. The dead man is no longer a dead man. The dead man is an alive man. And in the state of spiritual deadness, man is utterly and completely unable to do anything for himself. Jesus Christ must effectually call us to come to life. And when he speaks to the dead, the dead are raised to life. When we read through the Gospels and we read those accounts when Jesus called to the dead. Do we ever read of the dead refusing the call of Christ? No, they come to life when Jesus calls. My Christian friend, simple as these truths are, and for many of you, I'm sure you already know them, but let me urge you never to forget this. When you were dead in your sins, you were unable to do anything. It's the grace of God. It's his free, powerful, sovereign and effectual work in your heart that raised you to spiritual life. There is no measure of credit that you can take for you becoming a child of God. It is because of God that you are now spiritually alive. It is because of God that you are free from the domination of Satan and sin. It's because of God that you're no longer under the wrath of God because all of that wrath was taken for you by Christ at Calvary. And so, yes, this passage humbles us, but it also... Surely it puts us on our knees to worship. It sets us free from the grave clothes which sat like Lazarus to, to, to live a life of worship. It energizes our feet that we might want to serve Christ with freshness, dare I say, even like Lazarus. It loosens our tongues to praise him. It sets our hearts ablaze to love him. His grace transforms us. And it matters not what our background is. It's nothing to God. It, it, it matters not what our age might be. God's spectacular grace refreshes us to turn us and change us and renew us even. There is nothing like the grace of God to energize us. It's God's spectacular grace. But could it be that there are some here this evening and you are actually caught in a horrible crisis without God's grace? Your condition is more critical and it's more urgent than anything that your mind in its wildest moment could imagine. Let me suggest one thing that would be a crisis for us or for you. 
That, that, that the crisis that Paul describes is far worse than even what I'm about to say. Just imagine that there is, in the next hour, a massive earthquake that strikes this region. And upstream of a valley nearby is a dam. And that dam wall bursts because of the earthquake. And you are outside and you look up the valley and you see this massive wall of water coming to you at an incredible pace. That would be a personal crisis. But this crisis in Ephesians chapter 2 is far worse than that. You're spiritually dead. And you can't do anything to help yourself. You're bound in your sins. You're enslaved to Christ. And you're right now, as you sit there, under the wrath of God. Your only hope is the astounding grace of God. And perhaps you say, I've heard the term grace before, but now, somehow tonight, now I can see it like I've never seen it before. I hear what you're saying, but but what shall I do? My friend, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Paul says here that salvation, what does he say? He says salvation is by grace through faith. You are to completely rest in Christ. Completely rest in what he has done on behalf of sinners. And if you would hear his voice tonight, I urge you, do not harden your heart. Do not delay. Call out to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, I see I'm a great sinner, but I also see you're a greater saviour. My friend, the grace of God can be extended to you right this very moment. You can be saved as you sit in that seat. Christian friend. I urge you to see afresh what you have been saved from. I want you to think personally about this to see what grace has done in a sinner like you. And relish the grace of God. And relish the grace of God by never forgetting what you were. Could I put it this way? Put the photo in your top pocket near your heart. The photo of what you once were. I believe this truth really can help us get perspective. Especially when we might be facing uncharted waters. Well, whatever the future holds for you, believer, whatever trial may be awaiting you, whatever uncertainty lies ahead, Christian friend, the most important thing in your life is settled 
you are saved by God's grace. For the day of judgment is coming. And on that day, the saving grace of God in Christ will mean everything to you. And so, my brother, my sister, wherever God leads you in your life, brethren, your news of this weekend for your congregation may seem as if your future as a church is a little more uncertain this week than it was last week. Ephesians chapter 2 helps us to understand the one thing most needful. You were once dead under domination and damned, but now you are saved by God's spectacular grace. Never ever forget what you were before grace. God's wrath is what we all deserve. But by grace you have been saved. Or by grace you can be saved. What is grace? It's God's free, sovereign and undeserved favour to hell deserved sinners. We don't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But it is what God freely and sovereignly bestows. May none of us get tired of hearing about the grace of God. May none of us get tired of speaking about the grace of God. For clearly the Apostle Paul never did. And as Grandpa Spurgeon would say, Tell them that again, Charles. Tell them that again. What is that? You are saved by grace alone. And may he receive all the glory. Would you bow with me for a moment of prayer, please? Let us pray. O oh, our Father and our God, we humbly yield ourselves before you and in your presence. We stand amazed at an old truth, a glorious truth, a truth that is so relevant for every one of us. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to relish these things, to renew them in our hearts, even if we've known them for years, to see them more personal, to delight in them and to honor you more clearly in them and through them. And we plead with you for those yet who are outside of your kingdom, who are strangers to the grace of God in their experience. We ask that you would show that which they do not deserve. But we plead 
with you on their behalf that you would bless and seal this your own word to their hearts. We pray this now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.